0: 89777 7, 7, or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Pour yourself a cold one. They strike them, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft.
0: Yeah, it's Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft Podcast, which is presented by BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Just make sure you use the promo code PODCAST1, certainly. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years. Now I've got five podcasts, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. I gave you my thoughts Quick hit thoughts on every team's draft on today's Ross Tucker football podcast. But we need to get the thoughts of the expert. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL on all social media platforms. By the way, the official podcast handle is at RTF podcast, which is pretty cool. Um, You can also check out the real expert, the rookie scouting portfolio zone, Matt. Waldman at Matt Waldman on Twitter Matt Waldman it's the rookie scouting portfolio it's over 1200 pages of absolute goodness and over the next eight weeks we're going to go division by division and really break down these drafts what we learned about these teams what we think about what they did their strategy but today it's going to be primarily about round one and primarily the thought process for teams that took players either earlier or later than we thought they would. And we're going to try to get the thoughts on that from Matt Wallman, what the logic was, what the reasoning was, why it is that we think they did what they did. So very much looking forward to it. Um, again, you can follow Matt at Matt well, I mean, so, let's dive in, Matt. Matt, I want to start at number three with the Lions, who could have taken Derek Brown. They elected to go with Jeff Okuda, the cornerback out of Ohio State, instead. What do you think about there about the value of a number one corner like Okuda versus what Derek Brown brings to the table?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly I think that you – traditionally would value the guy in the trenches over a cornerback, but I guess they look at what they face, you know, on a regular basis in terms of who their competition is in the, in the NFC North. And they think about, you know, guys like Adam Thielen and they look at um, the Adams and the, and the, and Alan Robinson and folks of that nature. And I think, you know, maybe they feel that you know losing Darius Slay that they needed uh, a shutdown corner, and maybe their philosophy is a little bit more based on you know if we can cover, we can get home to the quarterback. So maybe the more the better we can cover, the the more likely we can do things schematically to get home to the quarterback. So I, that's my guess in terms of why they would look at a guy like Okuda, who certainly is a skillful um, press man corner um who has a lot of confidence and a lot of athletic ability and, and skill to anticipate um that they feel like he can grow into this job and and face top wide receivers in a you know in a, in a division that is pretty um full of those types of players.
0: What are your thoughts on at number four, the Giants taking Andrew Thomas from Georgia as the number one offensive tackle off the board. I didn't see very many people ranking him as the number one tackle yet. That's the guy the giants went with.
1: Yeah. And I think maybe that may be about the nature that people describe. Um, Dave Gettleman is kind of more of a conservative drafter in a lot of regards, even though you'd say Daniel Jones last year certainly wasn't a conservative number one overall pick. Though a lot of teams like Daniel Jones is a higher round guy than a lot of folks in the media. But Thomas is one of those guys. He was in among the top four to five, you know, tackles mentioned on the board. He's probably the most battle tested other than Jedrick Wills at left tackle, maybe one of the more natural left tackles um on the board in terms of you know, his feet, in terms of his technique as a pass protector. Um, you know, I, I think that Gettleman felt like that that was probably one of the safer guys. And I'm sure that it probably came down to you know, probably any type of interview or any type of interaction that they had had with him, maybe pre draft, in addition to just knowing, you know, probably just liking the fact that this was a guy who handled himself well in pass pro, um, which is going to be very important when you think about Jones, who may have a little bit of, um, I would say, I don't know if you call it tone deafness, but, you know, he doesn't have the greatest ability to sense some pressure off the edge and so having a guy that maybe they feel like is already technically savvy and sound maybe the upside isn't as great as some of the other guys but they know that the down, that the floor isn't as low as some of these other guys either so they went with the safest pick
0: At number eight I thought the Cardinals taking Isaiah Simmons was interesting you know they could have taken either stud right tackle Jedrick Wills Tristan Wirfs but they elected to go with Isaiah Simmons, which I guess I respect that they didn't allow the Hassan Reddick disappointment to affect this pick. But what did you think of taking Simmons there over some of the top tackles?
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of betting on the idea that Kyler Murray is gonna is gonna be able to transcend his offensive line still at this point and and continue to move forward and grow. And I, and I guess they're looking at the idea that we have a playmaker like Simmons, and we can put him in situations, say even opposite Chandler Jones, that we can, you know, that they're they're thinking is we can score points. We think that our biggest issue last year was was red zone play, which I think was probably the case when you watched their film a lot, is that they really struggled in the red zone. They were able to move up and down the field almost at will just couldn't punch it in and a lot of that maybe they look at as as experience with the quarterback and getting a little bit more experience and rapport with his um, young receiving core and they feel like they can build on that score early points and then pin their ears back and attack the quarterback and having a guy like Simmons who who they, they can use in a variety of ways and they can you know do a lot of different things with the defense and they have flexible guys Um, you know, in terms of what Jones and Simmons and Buda Baker, they probably feel like that they can do some things defensively that can, you know, kind of pin their ears back and attack. And they're probably making a bet, and it's a gamble, but they're making a bet that um, the calculated gamble that Kyler Murray is going to be able to score points this year more than he did last year and be more efficient in the red zone. And that's going to give the Cardinals, um, you, you know, earlier leads, and then be able to attack more on the defensive front.
0: Some of the other picks that, you know I wasn't surprised by CJ Henderson. Jedrick Wills for the Browns to switch from right tackle to left tackle. I am really curious to see how this goes for him. You know, it really it's hard to say, Matt, because and I can speak this from experience, it really is gonna depend a lot on how much time he spends over the next three months, just in a left-handed stance, just left-handed footwork, left-handed set. If he can find somebody decent to go against, just so he's getting the right movement. I mean, it's really up to him for how comfortable he's able to get over the course of the next three months or whatever, before training camp hopefully starts.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you commented on that because it's such an underrated thing to make that switch. I think a lot of people just think it's automatic because they see it happen at least often enough, um, but without being able to really analyze it. And you come from that level of expertise to really know. And, you know, it does seem like that that would be a fairly big gamble. Um, I'd like to know from you, if you don't mind, is really the Browns were there was a lot of discussion pre draft about the Browns going, you know, um, trading down and maybe going after a guy like Ezra Cleveland who from Boise state, who was kind of a lighter guy who needed to add weight and who looked like he projected well for a zone scheme. What do you think of say Wills here versus Ezra Cleveland? um, You know, as, as what that option could have been if they decided to trade back.
0: I think that they probably thought Wills was the best tackle in the draft. And to be able to get him at ten, I, I think they probably doubted that that would happen. I think they probably thought the Giants would take him at four, or the Cardinals at eight. So to be able to get Wills at ten, and then move him over, I understand Cleveland is pretty athletic, but I mean, I, there's not a lot Jedrick Wills can't do. He he is a pretty impressive offensive lineman. Probably uh, in my mind, the best of the bunch as well. Um, But, yeah, that is a good question. There have been so much talk. I mean, people evidently didn't like Cleveland as much as they said. He went, like, 58th or something. So, um, there was a lot of buzz for him that didn't really really materialize. What about at 12, the Raiders taking Henry Ruggs as the first receiver off the board?
1: I just want to know, you know, what room or what area Al Davis haunts this team because – I mean, they they love themselves the high speed guy, and you would you would have thought maybe guys like Jerry Judy or c d lamb might have been really good options here who could play flanker and both play flanker and in the slot. um but at the same time, you think about rugs and if they're gonna use Tyrell Williams as 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 the flanker and they can switch. Um, rugs in, you know, inside and outside at flank, excuse me, use Tyrell Williams as a split end and then use Henry rugs as more of the flanker where maybe he's outside or at least away from the line of scrimmage a little bit more. Maybe he doesn't have to deal with press right up on him as much. Maybe they felt like using that speed there, that open field ability from that position could be really worthwhile. And he certainly does that well. And, so, I can see why they feel like him stretching the field from that position could be really worthwhile, and then he's also a guy that seems to be willing enough to work across the middle and he does a good job you know working across the middle when he watches tape so, I felt they they probably felt like that he was the best um receiver in this class and there are there were polarizing views with him. most people thought it was between judy and c d lamb, but there were a contingent of people who who felt like Ruggs was the best overall guy. Um, even though he was, you know, he had a much either higher ceiling and lower floor. But I think when you watch his game, he works well over the middle. He works well against contact. He's a he's a tougher type of guy. He reminds me of, of Santana Moss. And I think a lot of people who maybe are say fantasy players and big fantasy players don't remember how good Santana Moss was. Um, but Moss was the type of player who could do a lot of the physical, dirty work um, against tight man coverage or in traffic, and then be able to, and then also be able to be that open field guy. And I think that Judy's game, excuse me, um, Henry Rugg's game has a lot of that in it. So, uh, you know, if if the Raiders saw the same things, I could see why they picked him number one overall.
0: Let's get to A.J. Terrell at 16 for the Falcons. Could have drafted C.D. Lamb, but they went with A.J. Terrell as the third corner off the board. What do you think of him as the third corner? What do you think about the value of taking him as opposed to C.D. Lamb or even Clavon Chasen there?
1: Yeah, I was really thinking Clavon Chasen might have been the guy for them. Um, Might have been a really nice pick, especially – you know, after losing the, the kid from Clemson that they, um, you know, to free agency Beasley, Vic Beasley. But I think overall, and then, you know, the idea also of CeeDee Lamb dropping to them would have been really nice, especially after losing Muhammad Sanu. Um, but they it shows that they probably have confidence um, in their third receiver um, who's kind of grown into that a little bit. Um, so I, I think that at this point you look at a guy like, Terrell, them losing um, Trufant at this point um, probably felt like that they needed to get another corner, especially when you look again at the division, look at some of the top receivers there, and, and getting a guy like Terrell who's battle-tested, who, you know, a lot of people will look at the LSU game and or look at some of the games where he gets beat, but all cornerbacks get beat at, from time to time, and they're going to face some top NFL-caliber athletes And it's how they respond to that, how they keep playing, you know. And I think that Terrell's shown that he's been in some big games against some big players, and they probably feel confident about what they've seen in him and and felt like he was too good for them to pass up at this stage.
0: One of the next ones that really jumped out that I wanted to talk about with you, Matt, was, and we might come back to some others, but I got to get your thoughts on the Raiders taking Damon Arnett with the 19th overall pick.
1: Yeah, this was curious. This is probably the most curious pick of the first round um, in terms of because this wasn't the guy who most people had rated this high. Um, You know, if anything, this was, you know, they, they were probably figuring they could get Terrell at this point, and this is where Terrell was mocked to them. And I think, you know, there are going to be some people who will look at this and say, the Raiders were thinking we need a corner here. We need to get a, a corner that we that we really like and 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 get and, and pick him at that range. But there seemed to be other cornerbacks as well that you know you would have thought that would have gone ahead of him. I mean, a lot of people were thinking Christian Fulton would have gone earlier, and he went a lot later than people thought. And then you look at Arnett, and you know, I I think that they they probably saw moments from Arnett. On tape, you know, against Clemson or against some of the other teams that they faced in, in big competition and felt like they liked what they saw. Um, and this is just one of those situations, a lot like wide receiver. I think that there's a lot of um, variation among scouts in terms of who they like when it comes to defensive backs, what type of systems that they play how much off coverage versus man coverage they use, how much zone they use versus man. Um, And they probably looked at Arnett and felt like, you know, he had some things to offer that maybe a lot of other teams might not have graded as highly. Um, And then the other thing that you could have looked at is if we could, if we just simplify it from on another level, it might be that maybe they did panic a little bit, feeling like they didn't get their man in Terrell and they, they chose a guy on the list that, you know, maybe they would have thought about it a little bit differently if they were, you know, if they were being, true, you know, really honest with themselves. That's one range of the conversation. I think the, the more realistic one, though, is that they probably just had certain views on him and certain things that they liked that they value more from a corner.
0: What about at 21, where the Philadelphia Eagles took Jalen Rager... From TCU, not a lot of people had him going that high. Instead of guys like, especially Justin Jefferson, but also Brandon Ayuk, why do you think the Eagles went with Rager over Jefferson and Ayuk?
1: Yeah, and I think for Rager, the difference is that Rager has a little bit more skill against press coverage in the short area of the field than Ayuk has really shown the ability to do. Ayuk has some issues with press coverage. Um, whereas Rager, I think, is a little bit better. Rager's a little bit more physical, and I also think he's more explosive, you know, after the catch. So with a lot of these quick-hitting throws um, that they like to have, you know, working over the middle, office slants, you know, crossing routes, different types of over-routes, I think they felt like they were getting a guy in Rager who was a little more sure-handed, and what they had by, with um, Nelson Aguilar back in the day, and and they feel like they're getting a the more sturdy, explosive guy, maybe built a little bit, um, you know, lower to the ground, but that they're going to get a lot out of him on plays, you know, short and even in the in the long, in the deep game because of the fact that he's a hard guy to overthrow. Even though he didn't run the 40 time that people expected, I bet he's faster than his 40 time, and even that 40 time was pretty darn good, sub 4-5. Um, So I think that, you know, from that perspective, he probably offered the most as a quick hitting receiver, whereas Justin Jefferson, who I like more, um, Justin Jefferson might be the best player at adjusting to um, coverage when the first route, when the first break doesn't come open. He's so skilled at finding that open area almost immediately. He almost looks like he planned to run two different routes. Um, because of how quickly he assesses the situation or feels it out pre-snap and knows where he's supposed to go when that first route doesn't break open. Um, And while that would have been beneficial for a guy like Carson Wentz, um, I think from the standpoint of being able to get open quickly and then be an absolute monster in the open field or even in tight quarters, um, you know, I could see why Rager had a little bit more favor by the Eagles staff um, in terms of drafting him,
0: let's get to twenty four The Saints taking Cesar Ruiz from Michigan. I mean, good player, I guess I was just surprised, given the fact that you know they're in line I thought was already set. I think maybe they're gonna move on from a guy like Larry Warford at right guard I mean that would be the only way that would make sense to me,
1: yeah, you know that that was definitely a surprising pick. And he is, he's a good battle tested player. Um, There's a lot of things that you can like about him, but it's, it was fascinating that they, they didn't decide to trade down. You have to wonder, you know, you have to wonder about how conservative some of these teams went given the circumstances due to, due to the pandemic and, and what their setups were, you know, I, I would have to think that, you know, most, teams probably had to feel more comfortable than the media maybe, you know, wrote stories about, you know, guys having to bust down walls to make sure their Wi-Fi was working and having trucks in the backyard of some GMs and things like that. So they could run to the trailer and make sure that they could make the pick if their internet went down. But, you know, you have to wonder if there were some teams that maybe adopted a, a, a little bit more conservative, conservative approach instead of maybe trading down as things unfolded they just decided you know what we can get a player that that we believe in that we have good value for and we, and we feel like that there's you know that there are other players on our roster that are going to develop you know as opposed to you know taking a chance on somebody or trying to move around the board and so i i'm thinking that the saints probably just feeling like that you know they have a they have a defense that's pretty strong maybe they have some players that they feel like that could develop a little bit more. Maybe they felt like they could get a little bit more value from certain offensive players, you know, later on the draft, whether that worked out or not, you know, that's up for debate. But Ruiz, I guess they just decided was, was a guy worthwhile for them. And then at this range, they, they just, they probably looked at it. And there are a lot of teams I have to think that once you get past the first 20 picks, you know, you start to see guys that kind of blend in that first and second round that you, that that we may look at and go, we didn't really expect that, but they were pretty strong on the guy.
0: Let's talk about the Jordans at twenty six. The Packers taking Jordan Love and your reaction to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I hate it. <laughs> um, I, I hate it, and I and I and I understand it. Like in terms of you, you feel like that you need to have a player for the future, and I, you know, I love it for Jordan Love in the respect. That he's going to get a couple of years, maybe three years, if if we if we were thinking sensibly, to to really sit behind you know one of the best in the game, and to be able to work at his craft, and and you know look look at his weaknesses and really work at it behind the scenes, and I think that if that happens, then it's a great opportunity for Love, um, you know, and possibly the Packers on that end. But if this is kind of a signal of saying, we think we've got a guy who can be, you know, an absolute stud for us. And that means that we can kind of push Aaron Rodgers out the door with a first round pick, you know, then I think the Packers are making taking a huge risk with a guy who takes huge risks on the field well beyond what Patrick Mahomes ever does um, or ever did. But, um, and I think that, that if they're doing that, they got it wrong. Um, but, you know, I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt that they feel like this is the guy who they believe is going to learn and is going to be able to learn over the, the course of two to three years. Um, and and we'll see. But that also comes down to, you know, how, what's this relationship between, you know, Aaron Rodgers and this team and the contract situation and whether or not they feel like that you know, love is going to get that amount of time. And a lot of first round picks don't usually most first round picks don't usually get the luxury of two to three years to sit behind a guy. Um, but that's what I think he needs. And, and so when I look at this, this scenario, I just wonder, you know, I, 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 I can't help but wonder whether or not they're going to rush this guy in. And, and a lot of these guys who are, you know, young quarterbacks, they put them into that frying pan pretty quickly and they don't get a nice sear. You know, they end up getting burnt meat, you know, when it comes to the caliber of, you know, play that, that comes out of that. And, and that's why I think the quarterback situation, the first round, while it, the hit rate is the highest of any round, it's still like less than 50% when it comes to first round quarterbacks being drafted and, and then performing to a level of, uh, you know, that you would expect them to be the franchise guy year in and year out.
0: What about Jordan Brooks at 27 to Seattle, Matt, the Texas Tech linebacker?
1: Yeah, you know, see, Seattle kind of has always marched to the beat of their own drummer in terms of what they like and they're looking for. And I guess they're thinking that they that this is a guy that has some some skills that could replace K.J. Wright. They feel they use a lot of nickel um, um, in their defense, but this is a guy that's kind of known for being a, a downhill thumper, a guy who can you know defend the run. But some of the film that they have saw, and you can look at some of the film of him, and there are moments where you see that potential for him to drop back into zones to work man to man. And they must have liked the athletic ability enough, and the way that he tracks the ball and and finds his spot enough that they must have seen real promise in that. And they felt like that this is a guy that they could they could go after and get some you know get some quality work from, um, and you know that's the thing. I mean, the Seahawks have always been very specific about certain guys that they like, and they're willing to either trade back in into rounds um, to, to get people and trade up high to get them. I mean, I remember years ago a guy like Paul Richardson, the wide receiver who recently played for Washington. You know, he was a guy that they probably they felt like they had to trade up high into the second round and they wanted to ensure they got him when a lot of people looked at him and felt like he was more of a third or fourth round guy. And while he, I think that overall you could look at that type of pick and think, well, he never really played to the potential that you were looking for in terms of being in every play, every down receiver who was going to be highly productive. Um, he offered a lot of moments that, that you could see why they made that decision with him, and he had some big plays, and he ended up, you know, he's a he's a he's a guy that hasn't been able to stay healthy because of his frame. So you know, but in terms of the ability that he had and what he could do for that team, he had a lot of strong moments for um, Seattle. Um, and I think they look at a guy like Brooks, they kind of fit their philosophy that they liked what they saw, and they're not they're not going to stand by is kind of like the hurt mentality of where guys are supposed to go. Um, and that can often work in, to the advantage of a team, um, even though it may look like a reach to others.
0: I want to ask you too about number 30. Uh, the Miami Dolphins took Noah Igbananahe, I get it wrong every time, the cornerback from Auburn, Noah Iggy. Uh, but your thoughts on the player as well as you know the, the Dolphins have Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, and still investing a first-round pick in Noah Iggy.
1: Yeah, and you know you took one for the team there in terms of you know using his <laughs> you know go, trying to go for his last name because I'm not even trying, but I'll say you know uh, you look at a lot of teams out there that they're going to face, and while it may you know may not be the Bills, it may not even be the Patriots at this point. Um, you know, they're going to face enough teams that have three strong receivers. And I think that they feel like if every team is trying to go for having three strong receivers and playing a lot of 11 personnel, and we're going to be in a lot of nickel, and we want to have a player who's, you know, physical enough in the run game, who's someone who's big and fast enough and athletic enough to be able to cover some top receivers. And we don't want you know, our third cornerback to be a liability. And I feel like that's probably the philosophy that they're taking, which is we want to be able to match up an 11 personnel as best as we can. We've got two really strong corners. Why not see if we can get a third developed here um, and and be able to do something with that. And you see some of the big trades during the, during the season, you know, guys like Jalen Ramsey, um, you know, you think about, I'm trying to remember the name of the Kansas kiddie, who keep to lead? You think about players like that who've been traded mid-season for you know big names, and I think that you know that maybe they feel like that if we can develop three corners, that's an asset not only for our team in the short term in terms of what we can do defensively, but also long-term. You you know maybe it gives you a little bit more valuable value and flexibility to make deals in in the mid-season you know season. And you think about, say, like the Eagles talking about when they drafted Jalen Hurts, who, you know, that they wanted to be a quarterback factory. While that sounds great in theory, you know, and it's an interesting pick, but the idea is if we can do what the Packers once were able to do years ago with Favre and Detmer and Brunel, and, you know, that they get enough guys that they can develop and hassle back that they can trade some guys and you know be able to get value from the depth that they they cultivate maybe that's the same type of thing
0: last one I don't even know this needs a lot of conversation but your thoughts on the Chiefs taking Clyde Edwards Hilaire the first running back off the board I know you you've been uh, you got a reputation as a big time running back guy what'd you think of that move
1: yeah, I mean, I think it just shows a case for perfect fit for the team. I mean, Andy Reid pretty much said after the draft, he reminds me of Brian Westbrook, and I think that he can give me, he can give our team what Brian Westbrook gave the Eagles, and and you look at the way this team likes to play ball, and, you know, a good, really strong route runner out of the backfield, you know, competent receiver at, at worst, um, and very good, you know, vision in terms of decision making, in terms of his footwork, he, you know, he really sees the field well. He understands where the blocks need to develop and how to set them up. He may not be the most powerful guy, though. He he certainly uses, you know, makes the first man miss or he reduces angles with um, the footwork that he has, so that he can use his body to attack first and work through. You know, indirect angles, or and and turn direct angles into indirect angles, and be able to break break through and get extra yards. So you like that about him, um, and I think that most people see this as like a home run type of play, in terms type of pick because of the fact that the the Westbrook reference. And I get that, and I think that he's going to be a good fit for the Chiefs, um, and he may end up being what would have been the best pick overall for that team, um, you know, considering that they spread the field as much as they do. The interesting thing to me is he'll probably not be used as much as a pass protector early on. They're going to probably use him a lot as a receiver um, because he's not a great pass protector. He's going to need a little bit of work in that area. Um, But they're banking on the idea that they can split him out in situations and, you know, get the most out of him in that regard. And maybe they feel like that they can also use some other players, you know, in short yardage where Blair's very good in short yardage in terms of making people miss, you know, avoiding penetration and getting downhill. You know, there are some types of situations where he may not be the strongest fit from a short yardage standpoint. Overall, I really like the pick, Um, you know, and I think that he's a guy that – you know, long term, if they can get if they can get anywhere near the top two seasons Westbrook had as a producer, one of those years was a twenty one hundred yard year from scrimmage. If they can get that kind of work from Clyde Edwards-Helaire, um, you know, it's going to be a wildly successful pick. If he can give them, you know, fourteen fifteen hundred total yards, I think that they've justified what they've done out of him, and I think they're going to be able to get fourteen fifteen hundred total yards from scrimmage from him within a year or two.
0: Good stuff there, as always, from Matt Wallman. Now, I wonder if you take some of that information and you think, boy, Matt really didn't like that pick or Matt really did, and it affects what you think about season win totals for the NFL that you can bet at BetOnline. You go to BetOnline.ag, you use the promo code PODCAST1, and you can place bets right now on the season win totals. Already, you can already place bets on next year's draft if you'd like. Plus, they got these live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. Very, very cool. Then, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices. They've got poker, blackjack. Pretty much anything you're looking to get some action in on, they've got right now. And we'll be talking about it even more on the Even Money podcast on Wednesday. Uh, Plus, then the season schedule will come out. Then you can put even more bets in based on the season schedule. So there's a lot to get to over at BetOnline.ag. A lot you can bet on over the next couple weeks. Just make sure you use the promo code PODCAST1, please, when you do so. Other than that, that'll do it. Check out today's Ross Tucker Football Podcast and check out even Money Podcast on Wednesday. We'll have Greg Cosell later this week with his thoughts on the rounds two through seven. We'll have Andrew Brandt's thoughts. A lot of good stuff to get to on Ross Tucker Football Podcast later in the week. though. For right now, the keg is kicked. We're all tapped out.